Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Amen, amen. Anybody else need that song like I did? Praise the Lord, man. You know, we live in a world where people worship human wisdom. People worship human opinion, human desires, and human aspirations. You may be here amongst the sea of humanity where you're trying to figure out what life is really all about. Man's questions are around these. We want to know where we came from. We want to know where we're going, and we want to know if life is really about something more, what is that, and what should be done about it. The answers to those questions have been tried to be given by many people. There are so many different opinions that are offered about life, what's it about, what's its meaning. There's so many conflicting opinions, there's so many contradictory opinions, but yet so many people will center their life around a particular person's opinion about what life is. I would tell you that without absolute truth, or said differently, when we reject the Bible, you and I have no other opinion but man's opinion. Think about the great names that you may have heard growing up in school, maybe in college, a name like Homer, Socrates, Plato, Plutarch, Aristotle, Euripides. These men were associated with Greece, were very clever, very smart, and very wise people. This desire for cleverness And to follow men with such cleverness had invaded the church in Corinth, and I would dare say invaded the church in America. Last week, we kind of left off by Paul saying that he hadn't come to the church to use clever speech, but to preach the gospel of Jesus. What Paul is going to tell us this morning is that the wisdom of the cross is much wiser and more powerful and able to change our lives than anything men could ever offer. Paul said that he didn't come with the cleverness of speech. That literally means with wisdom of words. He came with the word of God and the word of God only. I want to remind you this morning that the word of God is reliable. It is sufficient and it is complete. This morning, I want to help us see four wonderful truths about the wisdom of the cross. We're going to see the contrast of the foolishness of men, which men think is wisdom, and the wisdom of God, which men think is foolishness. Again, we're going to look at the contrast of the foolishness of men, which men think is wisdom, and the wisdom of God, which men think is foolishness. And so I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, and we'll read through verse 25 this morning. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. I would love for you to open your copy of God's word and rise to your feet as we read 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 and following. The Bible says these words, for the word of the cross is a foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those and to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, amen. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, a foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And may God's people say amen to that. You may be seated, and may God bless the reading of his word. Here's the first truth this morning. The wisdom of the cross powerfully saves. The wisdom of the cross powerfully saves. He says there, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's look at why that might be the case and why it might not be the case for some. Well, first, you can see this, that it can be rejected as stupidity. The preaching of the cross can be rejected as stupidity. The Greeks were lovers of philosophy. The word philosophy literally means a lover of wisdom. Each philosopher had his view of man's origin, his view of man's significance, his view of man's destiny, how man should relate to the multitude of gods. Most philosophers had ideas on religion, politics, social things, economics, the educational ordering of society. And so people would find their favored philosopher and get behind him. But yet again, the problem becomes that without an absolute standard for truth, the ideas of right and wrong were solely dependent upon human opinion or human philosophy. Many people in the church in Corinth still had their favorites. They had turned to Christ and believed the gospel, but now they were also trying to add human wisdom to what Christ had done for them. Human wisdom concerning what is true and what is, what is necessary in life. And we will find that when it comes to human philosophy and wisdom, when it is right, it always agrees with the Bible. And when it's wrong, it will be in disagreement with the Bible. Thus, it will always be misleading. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Paul encourages them to see the folly of men's wisdom. In other words, Paul would say this, that wisdom stuff, that philosophy stuff didn't help you before you believed in Christ. So now it's not going to be able to help you now that you do know Christ. 
Notice there he says that the word of the cross, that's an interesting word. That word there is among three words when we refer to the idea of preaching. Up in verse 17, if you'll turn your eyes there, he says, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That, that word is euangelizo, and you give a eulogy, that means you tell good news about somebody. And so that word preaching is preaching the good news. Down in verse 23, he mentions, but we preach Christ crucified. That's a different word. That's not the same word he used in verse 17. It's the word caruso. It's a word that means public proclamation about something. But here in verse 18, he says the word of the cross. That word is the word logos. It's the word through which you and I get logic. It was, it was packed with philosophical meaning. And so Paul takes a word from philosophy and baptizes it in the church. Jesus, he says is the Logos of God. He agrees with John, who tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the Logos of God. In other words, Jesus tells us who God is and what God is like. So when Paul says the Word of the cross, he's not just talking about divine wisdom, but he's also talking about divine communication. The cross was God's wisdom for salvation, and it is the communication of God's divine attributes like his holiness and hatred of sin and his love for sinners. Furthermore, when Paul says the word of the cross, he is meaning the complete atoning work of Jesus. In other words, that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on a cross as a sacrifice to pay for man's sin, that he was buried, that he was raised again, ascended into heaven, and will soon come. Paul says that that word of the cross is a foolishness. The word for foolishness is the word moriah, which is where you and I get our word moron from. It refers to things as being stupid, silly, or simply moronic. In other words, some people say that preaching stuff is moronic and you're a moron if you believe it. But because they see it as foolish and because they see that we're morons, the Bible says that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. When you reject the preaching of the cross, you now are foolish and you are the one that is perishing. That word perishing is an interesting word. It, it is in the present tense, and it's a participle, which means it has continuing action. In other words, the act of perishing has already begun and will continue unless there is repentance toward God and faith in the preaching of the cross. It's a word there. That word perishing is a word that's made up of a preposition and another word. The word is to loose, and the preposition is away from. In other words, those who have not placed their faith in the word of the cross to, for Jesus to save them from their sins are continually being loosed away from the very presence and relationship with God. And it will continue on and on and on because it is started and it can never stop until we believe in the foolishness of the cross. In Paul's day, 
The cross was where slaves, the lowest and worst type of criminals, rebels, and enemies, which where they were executed. There was tremendous shame and ridicule over such a death. So in other words, to preach that anyone could be helped by a person dying upon a cross to where criminals were executed, to believe in that was simply moronic. You had to be an idiot to believe that. In the Greek mind, they had gods that lusted after anything they wanted. So what would be the point if you're saying that Jesus Christ was a God and he didn't indulge his passions? The idea of becoming a man wasn't strange or moronic, but becoming a man that would be born in a manger. Becoming a man that would be raised in poverty and have no fame. Becoming a man that would go about doing good and have no thought of reward. Becoming a man that would accept insults, false accusations, and then submit to the torment of a crucifixion. That's moronic. That's foolishness. What kind of a God would do that? The word of the cross goes against man's thinking and thus seems foolish. The idea that one man would die on a wooden cross and determine the eternal destination of every human being that's ever existed, that is moronic. That's foolish. It leaves no place for my merit, my attainments, my understanding, my pride, my way of thinking. So think about it. Much hasn't changed, has it? Our colleges still preach humanism and not holiness. They teach building up of the self, not dying to self. Man looks to science. He looks to engineering. He looks to technology, sociology, psychology, philosophy, education, business, politics, government. But once the discussion turns to the cross of Jesus, the name calling starts, and we are simply called the people on the wrong side of history. But as I remember, the cross was the dividing point of history. That Jesus stuff is for the weak and stupid. It can be rejected as stupidity. It can be. But the cross wonderfully saves. You know why? Because it can be received as salvation. He says there, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Does anybody believe that today? (laughs) Here we are again with another present participle. To those of us who are being saved. In other words, now this is something that started and will continue on as well. But it's interesting here, this word is is not just in the present tense, but it's also in the passive voice. In other words, what that means is, is the subject had nothing to do with what happened in their salvation. But the subject does have something to do in their perishing. It's very interesting. In other words, to those of us who are being saved, We are completely unable to accomplish our salvation in our own wisdom or in our own strength. Paul says it is the power of God that saved us. The power of God said we did not save ourselves, amen. How did we become saved? We believed in the preaching of the foolishness of the cross, amen. That's how anybody is saved. 
The word of the cross is what changes people. The word of the cross is what changes societies. It changes families. It changes nations. And it will change this church. Amen. The power of God makes crooked men straight, foul men faithful, and perverted men pure. Amen. Can I get a witness today? It is the power of the cross. The wisdom of the cross powerfully saves. But then Paul teaches us, secondly, the wisdom of the cross is permanently sovereign. It's permanently sovereign. In verse 19, he says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. I will set aside. Where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, and God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Paul says, it is written. Now, that's a beautiful phrase. The phrase here is is in the perfect tense, and that simply means this. It's something that happened in the past and continues in the present. In other words, Paul is saying, he would say it like this. You could paraphrase it like this. It is permanently written. Never will it be changed. It is forever written. When man has achieved whatever he thinks he has achieved, God will stand over it and bring it to nothing. The Bible says in Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands. How long, church? Forever. The Bible teaches us that the wisdom of the cross is permanently sovereign because it enduringly prevails over man's philosophies. It enduringly prevails over man's philosophies. He goes there, and and Paul says, it is written, and then he quotes something. I don't know if you see it in your Bible, but this is all in capitals, and it's put off by quotation marks. He's quoting something. Well, what is he quoting? Well, he's quoting the Bible. It's interesting that when you say something is written, you probably ought to go to the Bible, amen? (laughs) He said, Isaiah 29, 14 is what he's quoting, and you've got to understand the context. When Isaiah made this prophecy... He was talking about Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria was planning to conquer Judah. The Lord had told Isaiah, don't worry about what this evil king is going to do and his threats to destroy you. His plans are going to fail. But the plans are not going to fail because of your military strength or because of of his strategy failing. His plans are going to fail because I am in charge. That's why it's going to fail. So Isaiah 29, 14, it says this, therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wonderfully marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. Judah was going to be saved because of God's power and God's power alone. With one angel, God destroyed 185,000 men in the Syrian army, and he did that in just, just one stroke. You can read about it in 2 Kings 17. Over and over and over in the Bible, God told Israel to trust and obey him, and if you trust me and follow me, I will fight for you. But men are often inclined to fight using their own ingenuity and power. But can I remind you that Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's one thing that keeps people away from Christ, from the Bible, and and that's their 
disagreement over the gospel of Jesus. It just doesn't fit our wisdom. So pretending to be wise, people who deny the gospel are really the ones who are fools. Jeremiah 8 verse 9 says this, the wise men are put to shame. They are dismayed and caught. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what kind of wisdom do they have? In other words, if men reject God's wisdom, God's truth, what wisdom is left? Well, James answers that question. James 3.15, he says, the wisdom that is not which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. Because this wisdom can never give man what he truly desires. It can only offer him what he can see, touch, and measure. Being earthly and natural, it's based on human desires and standards and will never satisfy. And being demonic, its source is Satan. That's why man's wisdom has never helped the world, period. It's only helped to destroy the world. But James says in, in chapter 3, verse 17, but wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. The Bible's teaching us that it's not until we come to the end of ourselves, our own ideas, our own cleverness. It's not until we come to the end of our own efforts, our self-will, and see our own sin, our folly, and our futility that we then can experience God's mighty power to save. The wisdom of the cross is permanently sovereign because it will endure long after man's ideas have faded. God will bring all of that to pass. But then it's also sovereign because it exceedingly provides for man's problem. It exceedingly provides for man's problem because in verse 20, he says something interesting. Where is the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world, but then he says some interesting things there in verse 21 that we'll look at in a second. Paul asks some questions. He talks about three kinds of men. Where is the wise man? This is referenced most likely to the wise men of Egypt, the soothsayers, the mediums, the wizards who promised good but could never deliver. Those who try and determine the makeup of the world. Where are the wise people that are helping you? Where's the scribe, the copiers of the law, the, the interpreter of the things that are most important? I mean, where are they? Where's the debater, the one who could debate really well, the one who could cleverly direct the progress of a conversation to an end? Modern day language would say, where, where are the scholars? Where are the scribes and where are the skeptics? In other words, in the words of one commentator, where have all the clever arguments an impressive rhetoric brought us. Are we better off because of it? Where are all the smart people with all the answers? How much closer to peace are we than we were a century ago? How much closer are we to eliminating poverty? How much closer are we at eliminating crime than we were a year ago? Our advances in knowledge and technology and communication have not really advanced us. It is from among those who are intelligent and clever that the worst exploiters, deceivers, and oppressors come. You and I are more educated than our forefathers, but we are not more moral. 
We have more means of helping each other, but we are not less selfish. We have more means of communication, but we do not understand each other any better. We have more philosophy and education, but yet more crime and more war. We are not changed except in finding better ways to excuse our own human sinful nature. And throughout human history, human wisdom has never basically changed, and therefore it has never been able to solve man's problem. Human's wisdom sometimes sees the cause of a problem, but it can never address the root of the problem, which is always sin. Human wisdom and philosophy can see that selfishness causes injustice, but it cannot remove selfishness. It may determine that hatred causes destruction, but it cannot cure hatred. Human wisdom cannot see because it will not see. As long as it sees God's wisdom as foolish, it will always continue to be a part of the problem. The problem is not that man is not right with man. The problem is is that man is not right with God. Nothing has been helped by this wisdom because men are the same and they have the same problem and there's only one solution. Paul is willing to put the wisdom of the world up against the wisdom of the cross because the cross fixes man's problem, amen. His problem is it is a sinner and he cannot get to God. So Paul says in verse 21, the wisdom of God through the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God. Well, God, have you just left us to our own selves? No, praise God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. When we put alongside the wisdom of the cross, human wisdom is what is foolish. The world's religions are foolish. The world's religions say that man has to earn his salvation. Think about it. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, it's all about what you can do for God. The world says do, but the cross says what? Done. You see, man is a sinner and has a fallen nature. And I borrow from a great pastor of old, John Phillips, here with my thinking. When God made the animals... He gave it what I'll call instinct. For example, a bee does what a bee does because a bee is what a bee is. It does not need to be taught to be a bee. It just instinctively knows how to do its thing. When God created man, however, he made something far different from the animals. Man is not an evolved animal or even a highly developed one. He belongs to a completely different order of creation. Man and animal both have a body and a mind, but God did not give man or lock man into an instinctive pattern that could guarantee his behavior. God did not create puppets or robots. He created man with the ability to think, feel, and decide. So to control his behavior, God gave man a human spirit to be the home of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwelling a man's human spirit, cooperating with the man's spirit, is what controls man's intellect, his emotions, and his will. In other words, man was created to be inhabited by God, to know God, to love God, and to obey God. But then the problem came, and that was sin. When sin came in, the Holy Spirit went out, leaving man empty, void, and dead. A man in sin has no governing principle 
to do anything but sin, and that sin remains in him. So therefore, all he can rely on is his intellect, his emotions, his conscience, and his will, which are all saturated by sin. He is blinded to spiritual truth. He continually makes the wrong decisions and he has to go by his senses. He abuses his body. He suppresses his conscience and he cannot even come to know God. The only way that man can come to know God is by the revelation of God in his word through the preaching of the gospel, through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, by the word of God, through the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, through the foolishness of preaching, saves those who believe in the message of the cross and fixes man's problem. The Holy Spirit brings the truth of the gospel to bear upon a man in a way that he cannot know in any other way except for the preaching of the gospel of the cross. When man hears the gospel preached, the word of the cross preached, the Holy Spirit convicts him of his sin, quickens his conscience, and stirs his emotions. And the last stronghold to fall is your and my will. When the will is conquered, it awakens our spirit, and we turn to Christ. We accept Jesus by faith. We're cleansed of his blood. We're made alive in Jesus, and we've been born again, and the Holy Spirit is at home. It pleases God. It pleases God when the word of the cross is preached because that's when men can come back home. How about you this morning? Have you ever believed the gospel? You ever trusted the Lord Jesus? Or is this still just foolishness to you? Wisdom of the cross powerfully saves, it's permanently sovereign. And thirdly, the wisdom of the cross pervasively supersedes. He says there, the Jews ask for signs, the Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach cross, Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block. And the Gentiles foolish admits to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Everyone, Paul says, whether it's Jews or Gentiles, are, are found, they're weighed in the balance and found wanting. Paul says the wisdom of the cross supersedes everything because it is better than any miraculous convincing. I can tell you that. Verse 22 says the Jews asked for a sign. Well, well, think about this with me. For three and a half years, Jesus walked among them. He healed the sick and he raised the dead. Miracle. He cleansed lepers. Miracle. Cast out demons. Miracle. He walked on water. Miracle. He, He Calm the, the storm, miracle. He fed the multitudes with just a few things, miracle. He transformed lives, miracle, but then they asked for a sign. When he was born, there was a star in the sky, miracle. And when he died, the sun hit its face, miracle. They asked for a sign, so he told them about Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, miracle, <laughs> He would be in the earth and raise again, and he did. Miracle. He did that, and then he returned back into heaven, and, and the miracles continued on after Jesus Christ left the earth, and, and miracle upon miracle happened, but, but they still said, show us a sign. Well, it's like Bill Ingvall. Here's your sign. I mean, good gracious. What other kind of sign do you want? In other words, listen to me. Here's the truth of the matter. If God performed a miracle in your life today, it wouldn't save you. It is not going to help you believe God any more than it did the Jews. 
We have this human inclination to want more from God. There is no other thing that he's going to do to prove to you that he is real and he is who he said he is than the cross, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's it, folks. That's all it's going to take. If you're still waiting on a sign, a sign will not change your heart because signs can't do that. Only the cross can do that. The wisdom of the cross pervasively supersedes. It's better. It's better than any of that miraculous convincing, but it's also better than any mental convincing. Verse 22, he says, well, the Jews, they asked for a sign, but the Greeks searched for wisdom. In Athens, Paul was surrounded by Stoics and Epicureans. They just wanted to talk about more and more things, some new truth that was out there. Paul tells them about Jesus and the cross, and they label him a babbler. Some received Christ, but many began to mock him. In other words, listen to me. No amount of mental convincing would change your heart. In other words, you cannot reason your way to the cross. The cross will not make sense to you. But when you come to the cross, everything else will make sense. I cannot get up here and perform a miracle. And I can't, I've tried to pay out the last, just best argument for the cross I possibly can. But listen to me, my mental convincing won't save you either. A mental argument is not going to save you because somebody else can come and convince you differently. Somebody else full of demonic activity can perform a miracle and, and just, just devour anything that you have seen. The gospel, my dear friends, is the only thing that changes man and has the answers that you and I are looking for. That's why, thirdly, it's better than any man's convincing. Paul says there, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block to Gentiles, foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. Christ was crucified. That was something that was scandalous to them. The word there is stumbling block, but it means scandalous. The preaching of Christ on a cross through crucifixion outraged the Jews and the Gentiles. Instead of being the king the Old Testament has written about, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, but yet he was crucified. And to the Jew, that meant that he had come under the curse of the Mosaic law found in 2113, which says, cursed is the one who's hung on a tree. They were thinking that he couldn't save himself, so therefore, how could he save Israel? For the Gentiles, it would be foolishness to enthrone anyone like that as a king, much less make them the savior of my life. I mean, in other words, if he's supposed to come and bring in this kingdom, but he gets crucified, why should I want to follow him? Any Messiah that was crucified meant that his mission had failed and therefore there was no hope or reason to follow him. That's foolishness and that is scandalous to preach that kind of nonsense. But yet it is the power of God, he says. That word power is the word dunamis. It's where we get our dynamite. It's when God blows your mind. (laughs) At the crucifixion of Jesus, there was the power of God when the whole earth was covered with darkness. The power of God was displayed when that thick veil was torn from the top to the bottom. That's at the crosses where earthquake happened and people got up out of their graves and started talking to people. That's the cross of God. That's the power of God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that raises you and I from the dead. Jesus is not only the power of God, but he's the wisdom of God. Colossians 2.3, it says this, in whom, meaning Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
When you and I come to Christ, we experience this transforming power of God, and we come face to face with the very wisdom of God in Jesus Christ. You this morning can be brought from death to life. That's power. Faith always precedes reason. It'll make sense after you believe. That's wisdom. But can I tell you, Romans 1.16 says, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what, church? It is the power of God to salvation for how many people? For everyone who does what? Believes. For everyone. Romans 10.13 says this, that everyone, everyone who does what? Calls on the name of the Lord will be what, church? Saved. Saved, amen, praise God. Have you ever, have you ever called on the name of the Lord Jesus? The wisdom of the cross powerfully saves. It's permanently sovereign. It pervasively supersedes and quickly, very quickly. Lastly, the wisdom of the cross is particularly superior. Verse 25, he says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It's superior because this, it's smarter than man will ever be. (laughs) Did you know this, that the most elementary things of God are inscrutable to men? Some of you in school right now, the most complicated calculus problem is simple to God because he even created the mind that created the calculus problem. God's wisdom is always gonna be smarter than man will ever be but then it's also stronger than man will ever be. The most minute example of power is overwhelming to God. The dynamite of man still cannot produce the power of an earthquake. The dynamite of man can still never take over what happens when God produces a a tsunami. We're never going to be stronger or smarter than God because Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, and so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The world has little wisdom, little room for the wisdom of the cross. So therefore, all we do is we turn people to Machiavelli or to Dewey, or we turn them to to Darwin. Somehow we have a problem turning people to Christ. But once a man comes to Christ, he can see the wisdom of the cross is what he's always been looking for. Because the wisdom of the cross powerfully saves. It's permanently sovereign. It pervasively supersedes. And it's particularly superior to anything man's got. Jeremy, would you come? Guys, I want to ask you today, right now, to just think with me just for a moment. Based on this text, I want to cause you to think about something in your soul right now. That right now without Jesus Christ, it's not that you're going to die and perish. You are already perishing. That's why you don't get a second chance once you die. Because you're already dead. What you and I need is a Savior. And if you have never received the Lord Jesus Christ today, can can I beg you? Can I implore with you? Can I plead you to come put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today? Come and be saved today. In just a moment, we're going to pray. If you've never given your life to the Lord, if you don't even know what this means, but you sense something going on in your heart and you need to talk to somebody, 
Pastor Justin and some others are going to be here at the altar. Just come and say, hey, tell me about this Jesus, and we will tell you. But then can I do this? Can I open this altar up? Because here's what I believe. That you've got friends and family that need to know the power of this cross. And we're in a time of 40 days, and one of the first things we're praying for is this who's our one, and that God would move powerfully on Easter. We're going to preach this cross thing on Easter. (laughs) We're asking God to convince men of their own foolishness to trust in the power of the cross. So maybe this morning you want to come at this altar and say, God, who is that one that I'm to invite? And if I invite them, God, would you move in their heart to save them? Or maybe today you just simply want to come and pray and say, God, man, I've been duped in some things and I just need to get back to the gospel. I don't know what your heart needs to pray about today, but we're going to be here. I'm going to say a prayer and then we're going to stand and you come as we sing. Jesus, I know today that this message is not in my power. It's not in my wisdom. And I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that it's all, it's all because of the power of your word. I thank you for the message of the cross. It changed my life. And I pray that right now it would change others. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.